0: this is a sporting discussion your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts i am aj myth and flying solo in asd stadium this week while andrew donison my regular co-host is out in regional victoria scouting andrew are you are you out there Hello, AJ. Can you hear me? Oh, I've got you. Got you coming in loud and clear. How are you? Where are you? What are I'm, you doing? I'm on the main street
1: of Mildura at the moment, heading down to Robinvale tomorrow morning. I can't say too much, but i <laughs> tell you what, the, uh, the croquet scene in Melbourne is not going to know what hit it when I come back with some new recruits.
0: Ooh, all right. Now, for those of us who don't know, Mildura is up near the New South Wales border, isn't it, in northwestern Victoria?
1: Northwestern Victoria—that it is. It is a beautiful place, a wonderful place. <laughs> almond territory.
0: Okay. Are, you, are you trying almond. to? Are you trying to tell yourself that, or are you trying to tell us that?
1: Lots of lots of beautiful nut-growing plantations out here. Oh well, that's good.
0: Let's take dried the focus fruits. off. Take dried the focus off nut and growing one. and dried fruits. Let me tell everyone right. what's happening on this show. Um, it's a heavy oval ball focus today. Um, we've got some rugby league and some rugby union. We're talking rugby league. Are
1: you talking about that thug? <laughs>
0: that you don't even know um, his name. You don't even know his name, do you?
1: Sui Soliola.
0: Oh, dear. See you, sui Soliola. Uh, from the Canberra Raiders, who the filthy thug. etched himself into infamy uh, with a late high hit on Billy Slater. Uh, Tim Gore uh, from ABC Grandstand wrote quite a, uh, an aggressive and uh, insightful uh, article earlier this week on the Raw. Uh, we speak to him about that and, in particular, I w- I how he. W-
1: yes. I, guess I would recommend everyone read not just the article but the comments underneath because Tim Gore does not ever hide from any of the commenters. That's true. He shirks he nothing. He good tate.
0: He shirks nothing from his commentators. And it was a very, very uh, emotional article. But we'll hear from him.
1: It was a good article.
0: We will hear from him later in the show uh, where he elaborates on his thoughts about why the head of the NRL's referees, uh, is the one who is most at fault here. Then we talked to rugby expert and writer Brett McKay, who's been on the show a couple of times. Um, We have a bit of a debrief on the 2017 Super Rugby season. um, 26 and 0. Sorry,
1: 0 and 26.
0: 0 and 26. We try to look... Brett and I had a chat and we tried to find some... You know, some shoots growing out of the nuclear ash that was Australia's uh, last eighteen twelve to eighteen months. Uh, it's a pretty interesting chat. It's a pretty good chat. We like talking with Brett McKay, um, Andrew. Before I get into the rest of the show, is there anything you want to uh, you want to have a chat about or make a point about?
1: Well, not necessarily, but, uh, I hope that you haven't been running around jumper punching anyone because that seems to be back on the agenda in the other oval ball sport with idiots not realizing that they're not allowed to punch people in the face and then getting very confused when they're, they're called out for it. But I actually think that,
0: that, I I think, uh, Josh Kelly, you're talking about from Greater Western Sydney in the AFL. Toby Green. Toby Green, sorry, who received two weeks. Um, I thought he was a bit unlucky because that was a Rantz, rolled, rolled gold Academy award-winning performance from a guy who's quickly becoming known as one of the biggest divers in the AFL, Alex Rance.
1: Do you know what one of my favorite parts of that was, was Kane Corns, the first person who should have got suspended for diving when the AFL brought in the rules, but the AFL weren't uh, ballsy enough to do it. He's calling him out. I'm like, oh, Kane. You don't really have much league to stand on, but that's okay. Well, look, he gets, uh, the, he the gets only, paid to. Other,
0: he's he's hot take merchant now, who gets paid to call people out on things, so that's okay. It's true.
1: It's true. The only other thing that I would say, AJ, is that it looks as though the cricket, uh, the Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricket Association are actually a little bit closer to a resolution than they have been in recent weeks. So. Hopefully, I, I don't think the Bangladesh
0: tour yeah they're, they're was so close to ahead. a resol, so close to a resolution that the Bangladesh tour was cancelled.
1: So is it officially
0: cancelled? Yeah, they pulled out yesterday.
1: Uh, okay, so yeah, that I, I think was pretty much always uh, going to be the case. But one little known thing or, or less spoken thing before the Ashes, there's actually a one day tour Australia against India. Now. Australia is not going to... Cricket Australia, the Australian Cricket Association are not going to let that uh, go to the way. Yeah, there'd be
0: more money in that than there would be in the Ashes. It will be resolved.
1: Yeah, it will be resolved by that stage.
0: All right. All right, Andrew, we'll leave it there. Good luck. Happy scouting up there in Mildura slash Robinvale. We will see you when you are back in Melbourne.
1: Indeed. Thank you, AJ. All the best.
0: Time to talk some rugby league. And uh, in light of the Sia Soliola-Billy Slater event of last week's NRL action, uh, with Slater being knocked out cold, uh, a good friend of the show, Tim Gore, who writes for theraw.com.au and also broadcasts with ABC Grandstand in Canberra, uh, wrote a very strident defence of Soliola the man, while also coming in off the long run about uh, the thoughts on why the referees are so hesitant to send people off in the NRL. I spoke to Tim about the article and the bigger issue of why are the referees so gun-shy. He's a great listener, always good fun to talk to, so I hope you enjoy. Tim Gore, welcome back to a sporting discussion.
2: It's fantastic to be back.
0: Now, you have caused a little bit of a stir this week in the wake of the CS Oleola Uh, hit on Billy Slater with your article in the Raw, uh, all but blaming uh, referee's head Tony Archer for the uh, goings-on.
2: Well, yes, the lack of the send-off, definitely.
0: Yeah, now, before we get into this any further, I just want to lay out a few uh, indisputed facts so that people listening don't think that uh, uh, either one of us is trying to make apologies or say no one should be suspended or anything like that. I need to do full disclosure. I'm a Raiders fan and C.S. is my favourite player. Um, mm-hmm. It is incontrovertible.
2: I am also a Raiders supporter and I like Cia Soliola
0: That's true. You like him as a person, which we'll get to. Um, Cia Soliola whacked Billy Slater high. Uh, whether Billy slid or not doesn't matter. It was a send off offence and he should have been gone, but he wasn't. And that's not Cia's fault, uh, but he continued to play the game when Billy was out and looks like Slater will miss this week as well. Now, Tim. Uh, talk us through the general gist of your article quickly.
2: Well, look, there's no question that Soliola's hit Slater in the head with a forearm. There's no question that the contact has come late. So uh, for mine, even live, I I looked at it and I thought, even with my green eyes on, I knew that was a send-off. There was no question. What shocked us all, what absolutely shocked us all at the time, was Matt Chetchen did not send them off. Now, the, the video ref had, I know, what was it, five, six minutes until Billy Slater left the field on the medicab mm. in order to look at this. From every angle you looked at it, you could see it was late and it was high. Now, Billy Slater did slip. Um, Soliola, I'm sure, didn't mean to get him in the head, but the fact of the matter was it was late and he did get him in the head. It was a send-off offence every day of the week, but he didn't. Um, but here's the thing. That Matt Chetchen and uh, Chris Butler did not send him off, the two refs on the field, um, comes down to the fact that there's a strong feeling that only the video refs now will send off. And there has been no send-offs under the Tony Archer's rule except for David Shillington back in 2015 for headbutting Aaron Woods. Um, and that's and under
0: that was in That was in the 79th minute of a game too, a it game was, that had been decided. It, was when so. it
2: really wasn't, and it was decided by that stage. Um, nothing the Raiders were going to do at that stage was going to win the match, especially not headbutting Aaron Woods. <laughs> um, but my point is, in 474 games and counting in control, there has been one send off under Tony Archer. Now, at 9:21 on the Saturday night, he has come out in a unfathomable. The only only precedent we have for this is basically. Um, the Butner coming out with the match review committee last year and basically saying, uh preempting the case against um, Jack Whiten. Um, he's come out and said, basically, Soliol is going to the, the match review, so it's up to them. Um, he's looked at the thing. He's certain it should have been a send-off offence and his men should have sent it, but it's OK because it's clearly foul play. So at one hit, he's basically said, um My guy should have sent them off. It's all their fault, which, you know, thanks, boss. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, because it should have been a send-off offence. And then secondly said, but it's okay. It's going to the match review committee people. And he's sure to get suspended because I reckon it's just a horrible offence. This is past the point he should have any input into or whatsoever. Mm. But the cold hard facts come out and say if he thought things were send-off offences because although this was a bad hit, we have seen just as bad in those four years, uh, sorry, three years that he's been running at. And there has been no send off apart from a headbutt. And that's, that send off in a different way. Uh, we've seen lots of high tackles, forearms to the head and so on, which have gone to report and then gone and got six or seven, eight weeks suspension at the judiciary indicating that it was clearly a send off. But he and the referees that he control and the video referee he control have not done it. And again, what we saw on Saturday night was they didn't do it. They are send off shy. They don't want to do it. The problem was, it was St. Billy Slater that they hit, one of the greatest players of this generation, possibly of any generation. Mm. Um, and he's beloved by a lot of play, a lot of supporters who don't even like the storm, love Billy Slater. I, for one, love watching Billy Slater play. I think he's absolutely fantastic. I was in the change room once and listening to him sing along to Hank Williams Jr. was one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> um, well, while, while a lot of the, the Islander origin players looked at him like, oh, my God, what's he playing? And Craig Bellamy looked at me and said, he's Billy Slater. He can do what he wants. And I went, yeah, he is. And, yep, that's fair enough. Okay. He's a great player. So he's basically collected not just any old player. He's collected one of the great players who we all love. Um, and So do you think that's that's the
0: reason heart. for the uh, amplified response here? Because if he'd hit uh, Jason Nightingale or David Nofaluma, uh, we wouldn't be getting this much... Uh, rousing, I guess, because... Uh, well, if... we
2: we certainly wouldn't have someone staked out um, in front of the judiciary. We'd be getting reports on it later and maybe a cameraman there. We probably wouldn't be getting live reports from it, especially from a team that's not going to make the finals now. If it was in a situation where the Raiders' finals campaign was resting on it, you could understand that happening. But what it's come down to is this is really blown out of, out of proportion. And it actually, and this is the odd thing about it, it's actually the a Soliola's detriment that he didn't get sent off. Because now, people, there's a lynch mob with pork, uh, you know, forks and pitchforks and torches calling for his head. Whereas if he got sent off, people would have thought to themselves, well, he got what he asked for. Yes, he'll get a suspension as well. But now they're asking for a lot to be made up of this. Um, and there's a lot of hysteria. And a lot of it basically is saying, in some weird way, But Soliola is to blame for not being sent off. I think he knows what he did. He was he he was as surprised as anyone he didn't get sent off. But at that stage you don't put your hands up and say, like, you know, Adam Gilchrist. You don't just walk and say, Well, I reckon I was out. You Mm. have to stay on the
0: Well, they all but did though, because if you watch the footage back after he made after Soliola hit Slater uh, he and Jared Croker and a couple of other players were kind of standing around looking at each other going, right, how, do we, how are we going to reset for when C is not with us? And, mm. uh, and then the call didn't come and on they went. Um, but to the wider issue of sending off, and I guess to a lesser degree of Sinbin, what's the solution? Because we can't just all of a sudden have a rash of people being sent for the entire game.
2: Yeah, and, and that's what a lot of people are thinking is going to happen. Anyone who even you know, brushes someone's head this weekend is going to get sent off. There is going to be a knee-jerk reaction, and we've seen that so many times. Um, it's no secret I'm not a fan of, of, of Tony Archer being in charge of the referees, because I think we've been backed into this corner where we have these knee-jerk reactions where we're basically worried about what the optics are, and thinking about how to please, you know, the public rather than actually to do, do the job. Um, what happened in the Melbourne Canberra match after Soliola, um, didn't get sent off actually showed the real problem with him not getting sent off because the, the, the match descended into WrestleMania. It descended into a street brawl because Jesse Bromwich, who by that stage had pretty much started taking on a captaincy role. He's a very senior player went wild. So did Kafusi. Uh, uh, so did uh, a number of the players really went in hard. They knew full well they could do whatever they wanted in the ruck now, and the chance of them getting sent off or sin bin for it was virtually nothing. So in the moment of not sending Soliola off for something that was obviously a send-off, all of a sudden control of the game was lost. Now, one of the reasons Ricky Stewart went off after the match was he saw that. Now, he may have wanted to keep his mouth shut, um, from that because his player stayed on the field. But um, what he was pointing out was correct. The, the behaviour of the Storm players after that point, we don't know what Jesse Bromwich said to Matt out of the out of the scrum, but the way Matt Chechen responded to it told me that it would have been a sin bin on any day of the week except that one. So the, the send-off has to come back. The issue is they have to bring it back in a way where it's not a knee-jerk where we see seven people sent off this weekend for, you know, farting on the field. <laughs> when last weekend you couldn't you know get sent off for drawing a gun and shooting Billy Slater in the head basically
0: well look i got um, the impression that um chechen wanted to send him off after seeing the replays but it was overruled yep. now i i'm completely speculating there but that's the impression yeah, and, i got yeah and
2: everyone is but I, I thought that. I read um, Steve Mascot in the Sydney Morning Herald also speculated exactly the same thing. So I don't think we're alone, rangers on that
0: one. Well, also the... Um, uh, the I think
2: Matt Chetron's a great referee too, by the way. I think he's the best one. Well, the officials really that have run. been...
0: It was announced earlier today that officials have been suspended from that game and the on-field officials were not. The ones in the bunker and the uh, match, offic- match referee were...
2: And that's where we get to a really interesting point on this too. And I, I, Bernard Sutton and Brian Norrie have been served an actual excrement sandwich on this one. Um, Brian Norrie, for a starter, what would they think thinking putting him in the bunker? In 2014, he retired as a Melbourne Storm player. Eight of the players that took the field were his teammates. Five of them were his teammates in the 2012 Grand Final, including Billy Slater. They put him in that box. If he wanted to show any bias whatsoever to the melbourne storm he could kiss his job goodbye so he couldn't he's a man of integrity he was never going to do that but that meant that when it came down to ruling in favor of the storm of basically saying you know into um bernard sutton's ear we've really got to send this blake off he would have been frozen because he can't be seen to be doing that because there would be allegations of bias and he's in this horrible no-win position where now, because he was put in that position by Archer, who puts them in there, he now gets suspended for being in a position where he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't, and it was extremely unfair on him.
0: So, what's what's the solution here, Tim? Looking looking forward to the next, let's say, you know, eighteen months, two years of rugby league. What's the what's the solution without having a, a an overreaction of send offs?
2: Um, I think one of the first things we can do is Tony Archer, who I've forgotten the name has given himself now, chief commandant um, of the, the referees or something, chief official, officiating or something, should be in the bunker every match. That's his job. Rather than being able to sit there and blame someone else for getting the decision wrong, if he's in the bunker, he can review it and he can basically be doing it and the buck can stop with him. That way he doesn't have to send out any messages saying we got it wrong. He only has to send out a message saying I got it wrong. I think that would give the best consistency and a leader should really at this stage get down there and do it. But secondly, they should say, right, the send-off should have been used. Here are the circumstances under which it will be used going forward and give those indicators that Tony Archer talked about. The indicators he talked about, we don't know. Um, so we can yeah, that's actually a good say it ticks it off. And then the people in the bunker can say, here's the thing it hits this indicator and this indicator, but not that indicator, so it's just a report. Yeah. Or they say it hits all. It hits this indicator, this indicator, and this indicator, it's a send-off. And that way we can actually see there's some sort of process with it. And I think that's the way they can do it in a very logical, methodical way that gives everyone some sort of um, transparency of the decision and makes people aware of what's going to be happening. The one... CSIOLIS was so obvious. It was so obvious that not sending off, in a way is a good thing because it's actually opened up this, this situation where people have been saying for years, what do you have to do to get sent off? And a large part of it, is since they brought the report system in, the referees think themselves, well, I'll just put it on the report. That means I don't have to get involved with the controversy. But... When you just put something on a report where there's no excuse for doing it, well, you're in the controversy. That's for sure.
0: Uh, That's all good points. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, going forward with the NRL, uh, especially for the referees who you get the impression they don't feel a whole lot of support coming from head office. But uh, ref bashing is a whole other topic that we're going to talk about on this podcast at a whole other time. So I just want to thank you again, Tim Gore, for coming on and having a chat to us. Fantastic. Thank you, Tony. Uh, head to au to find Tim's latest article and join in the somewhat, I think there's 300 comments or something like that.
2: No, we're getting up towards 400 now. Most of them are saying what an idiot I am.
0: <laughs> but please, come, well, to come
2: on board and join in with that.
0: Get in there and agree. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks. Switching codes now, and it's time to have a look at the destruction and disappointment and devastation that was 2017 Super Rugby for the Australian teams. Uh, We had the Brumbies bowing out in week one of the finals when you could argue they never should have been there in the first place. Uh, The Rebels and the Force still don't know whether they're going to be around. The Waratahs were absolutely disgraceful, and everyone forgot Queensland was playing. To help us conduct an autopsy here on a sporting discussion of what was the 2017 Australian Super Rugby season, it's time to welcome sports writer, commentator, and radio producer and our go-to rugby expert, Brett McKay. Brett McKay, welcome back to a sporting discussion.
3: Yeah, good to, good to be chatting again.
0: Now, we've just come off uh, probably the worst Super Rugby season on record for Australian teams. Uh, I'm not looking back to before it was officially super rugby but we had uh all of our teams with losing records uh i think the brumbies were the only team that finished with a positive points differential um i would ask and
3: yeah, there, there wasn't
0: much in that no <laughs> i would ask where did it all go wrong but um i guess what's the what's happened what's happened to australian rugby
3: oh, if i could if i could answer that Quickly and succinctly, AJ, I'd be a very rich consultant right now. (laughs) I think. Um, Look, it's the it's it's literally the sixty four million dollar question in in Australian rugby circles right now, and and in uh, broader sporting parlance as well. I mean, it's right now. It is it has never been easier to be down on Australian rugby, and and you know the only time rugby pops up on a uh, on a news board or a panel discussion show, or, or, or anything like that, now is because of bad news, or because you, you know, panelists, columnists are asking exactly the same question that you just have there. What 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 is going on? It's, it's it's easily the worst on record in the professional era. Uh, it's it's certainly the certainly the worst Super Rugby season we've. Uh, we've had to endure, um, and endure is the word. I yeah, think I was going to say, say
0: the play has been diabolical, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it has. It has. I, I don't know that any of the five teams um, put together a true eighty-minute performance. I, I think the closest might be the forces' final win over over the Waratahs for the season. That, that might be the closest we've come, and I think even. They would probably say there was moments in that game where they, you know, where they did drift off a little bit. So yeah,
0: and I um, guess that that needed the driver of this could be the last game you guys ever play as a team to it for that to happen.
3: Yeah, yeah. and 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 Matt Hodgson's farewell um, to to the game as well. You know, um, it was a hugely emotional emotional night. But I mean, you know, the the, the the Brumbies probably played their best half of rugby in the quarter in the qualifying final there last Friday night. Um, but then then followed it up with just another bog stand in forty minutes like they have all year. And so, you know, that was that was very much illustrative of their year. I thought the Waratahs were unbelievably disappointing by the end of the year. They they you know, I I don't I don't like throwing out terms like um you know like they like they weren't trying or they were disinterested, but the Waratahs genuinely looked disinterested by the by the end of the end of the season. Yeah. Um, the 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 rebels sort of started off pretty ordinary and went downhill from there somehow and and you know the Reds you know they were expected to do really well this year and it's only because they sort of bit the bullet midway through the season and started blooding um you know blooding some pretty promising young talent that they've sort of emerged you know they've sort of finished the season on a bit on a bit of a high, but you know you are coming from a pretty low base it's um it's not hard to say things like that I suppose.
0: Yeah, um, I like to think of things from obtuse angles, Brett, and um, I'm thinking back to the World Cup, when was it? 2015?
3: 2015. 2015, yeah. Uh, only 18
0: months ago. The only 18 months ago, we had made it to the finals, but there was a moment at the very end of the quarterfinal against Scotland, I think it was, where um, the referee should have made a call against Australia that ended the game in Scotland's favour, but didn't, and we ended up winning, I always wonder if that decision had gone the correct way, and Australia had ended up losing that game, would we would we have had a bit more of a house cleaning and a bit more introspection uh, a bit earlier than we're having now?
1: Oh, possibly,
3: possibly, but that's the sort of thing that we can say with the benefit of hindsight.
0: Yeah, I'm good at hindsight.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, that's all the average Australian rugby fans been able to latch onto this year. <laughs> Look, I, it's. Uh, it's it's a it's a reasonable question, but but I think that World Cup is probably it, it's, it's rightly singled out as a high point, and I say it's only eighteen months ago very deliberately because that's probably also the mark where uh, where where Australian rugby as a collective game was sort of you know was last recognised as being you know, hang on oh, like turn internationally you know maybe things aren't quite as bad as as we thought because yeah yeah you know, you know, twenty twenty fifteen. You might remember the, the Brumbies lost the lost the semi final in Wellington um, in, in the uh, in the Super Rugby competition. Uh, obviously, didn't win the Blunderslow, but rugby championship wasn't too bad. Um, and you know the Wallabies had that incredible run through the World Cup, where they only
1: conceded
3: mm. oh you know five or six or seven tries for the tournament. It was, it was an incredible record. Um, and 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 Nathan Gray, you know, just to, to singling out was quite. Rightly lauded um, for his defensive game, and 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 the Brumbies being, and the well, Wallabies a big pardon being, you know, one of the best defensive teams in the game. Sadly, that was the last point where that's happened. And basically, Australian rugby really hasn't, you know, evolved since then. Every every other team, and again, I'm talking Super Rugby from now and, mm. and Southern Hemisphere particularly. Every other team we've come up against um, has worked out how to play Australian teams and how to play against it, that 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 defensive style. Whereas, you know, the Waratahs haven't changed. The Wallabies haven't adapted their, their, their defensive patterns. You know, they're all sort of defending similarly the five Australian teams. Um, and you know, it just gets worked out so so quickly. And, and you know, you do a simple comparison of how how quickly New Zealand teams can score from a turnover. Um, and and like yeah. the average, the average time is ridiculous. It's like, it's like less than thirty seconds on average, you know. Which means that sometimes <laughs> we're doing it in, you know, ten and twelve seconds even. <laughs> but but for but for Australian teams, it's it's you know it's it's upwards of a minute on average. So you know that that probably probably t- tells you about where a little bit about where the game's up here at the moment. We just. The, the, the skill level, the, the, the decision-making, the tactical nows, the ability to think under pressure just isn't there at the moment to be able to really capitalise on those sorts of mistakes. Um, and as a result, Australian rugby is being left behind because all the, all the really good, you know, all, all the countries that are doing well and all the really good teams in rugby now have worked out that the best time to strike, the best time to try and attack is when you first get your hands on the ball. Yeah,
0: um, not just on field. We're having troubles as well. Um, the Brumbies couldn't get ten thousand to uh, mm. Bruce Stadium for the final. The Rebels were lucky to get five thousand to a game. Uh, if they got anyone, uh, crowds were down around the place, which means money's down yeah. around the place, which means ratings are down around the place. Um, it's a fair funk of a, and a malaise going on. Is there any way? Is there any way out of it?
3: No, not not, not easily. You, you, we, we can't, you know, there's, there's not going to be anything that we can just, you know, snap our fingers between now and the first blood is like test and everything will be rosy again. It's hmm. it's, it's going to take, um, it's it's going to take a good while and it might even take a few years for it to to, to really take effect. Um, and, I mean, it's, it becomes a little bit self-fulfilling. You know, pe- people don't go, don't want to go and watch underperforming teams, but, you know, teams can't, Immediately, just start performing because of, because of the skill levels and because of everything we just talked about before. Yeah. So, you know, and, until until things improve, until performances improve on the field, to make people you know to make to make the game more enticing for, for people to go and watch, um, you know, to, to pay to buy tickets for, to go and buy a jersey even, they're, they're not doing it at the moment. And you know, it's, uh, it's 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 suffering across the board. and And the the sad reality in that is that the game. Globally is, is booming. It's it's never been bigger than it is at a professional level in in Europe. We've got the the Pro 12 competition, which has for you know 15 years basically been the the poor cousin in it, in, as far as um, you know professional level uh, provincial competitions go. It's it's being you know distant even to Super Rugby, um, and and all of a sudden with the injection, the likely injection of a couple of South African teams, um, you know they're they're Potentially laughing all the way to the bank because their broadcast revenue alone will effectively double overnight. <laughs> um, you know, so there's there, clubs in Ireland and and Wales and um, you know, Scotland who've who, who've never seen a uh, who've never seen a, a balance sheet look so healthy. So, <laughs> um, you know, and and then coupled with that, you've, we've got this this Super Rugby setup which. Which when it went to 18 teams and it went to to, to four conferences, or something, I thought, well, you know, it's a little bit clunky, but it could work. It's you know, it's mm. it's it, there's enough sort of to it that it's just crazy enough to work. But it's been the absolute opposite of that, and and, and again, it becomes self fulfilling. If people read and hear it said often enough that you know the Super, super Rugby is a terrible format then they start believing it's a terrible format and therefore the product's not worth watching and they've done it.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that uh, rugby is booming around the world because there's no way you'd get that impression uh, just uh, looking locally in Australia. Um, No. no. Yeah, it's on its knees and everything's on fire. But... After the burn, has to there has to be some green shoots coming through, Brett. There has to be something that uh, the Wallabies can build around, or Australian rugby can build around, on or off the field. Is there any good news you can give us? Is there anyone coming through who we can all hang on to and go along for the ride? Um, oh,
3: look, there's there's a few little little glimpses, but you know, as we, as, much, as easy as, it, as as it would be to. To, to try and highlight them, it could easily be thought of as sort of clutching at straws a little bit. And I suppose after the season that we've had in Australian rugby, you've sort of got to do that. But I look at, like I mentioned the Reds before, and you know they've, they've had something like a dozen comps this year. Uh, they're, you know, I think they had seven or eight guys under 22 on the field um, in the last game. And and that's, I think that's a real. Um, uh, that I think that actually brings a little bit of excitement. You know, to, for for Reds fans, mm. um, for for next year, that's definitely something they can they can think about. You know, there's there's a, there's a lot of young guys up there who probably have played Super Rugby, you know, twelve, eighteen, twenty four months ahead of schedule, but they just sort of got in and started doing the job, and and you see the likes of um, you know Isaac Rodder and Israel uh, and Isaiah Parisi and and those sorts of guys now in a in a Wallaby squad, and you know this time last year they were. Hoping to maybe sit on a bench for an NRC game, and it's it's, it's an incredible rise <laughs> when you think about it like that. Um, you know, I I, I I don't know, you know, where the the force rebels thing is is going to going to end out. But I look I look over in the in the west, and I see you know guys like um, you know Billy Meeks and Curtis Rona come through as a centre combination, and again, largely unheard of at the start of the year. They're in a Wallaby squad now. Um, Adam Coleman, if, if there is a if there's a better forward uh, in terms of form and you know reputation stature in the game now the, in Australian terms than Adam Coleman right now I can't I can't think of him off offhand and his his season for the Force even though he missed a good chunk of it was absolutely incredible and, and he was the difference between them finishing the season as strongly as they did and you know and, and just being a little bit worried about the mid-season that's that's how big an impact he had on them um, you know Matt Phillip, he's... His locking partner over there, um, had a really strong season, didn't get anywhere near the headlines as Coleman rightly did, but um, you know, Coleman probably couldn't have played half as well as he did without his you know, without his number four mate beside him. So that's I think that's really exciting. Um, someone like Richard Hardwick over there who, who will inherit Matt Hodgson's number seven, um, you know, he's already played at wall of his tests and he is genuinely going to be the next great Australian number seven. He's he's an incredible player already, and I can't wait to see what he's like in a couple of seasons' time. With you know fifty or sixty Super Rugby games under his belt, he probably would have played twenty Tests by then as well. And know um, yeah, he's he's going to do something special. And then I think even you know in in the in terms of the Rebels, we just I think we even though they had a, had a season but to forget largely, I, I reckon we just saw little glimpses of of Reese Hodges' game. That that just to me said that you know in a pretty ordinary team, he didn't exactly have a have a second year syndrome. He you know he he went from being a bit of a bit part goal kicker last year and just taking the long long range kicks to to being the rebels preferred kicker and actually you know having a pretty reasonable season with the boot. He's still nailing long kicks. He's still missing long kicks as well. So he's still got accuracy issues, but he's kicking the conversion from in front of the post and all that was pretty solid by the end of the year. So, you know, he's he's got real utility value. I still don't actually know what his best position is yet because he he looks pretty comfortable at twelve at fifteen, you know, wherever. So um, <laughs> well, and he's then, a monster
0: too, so he can fit anywhere really.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then you know, for the for the Brumbies, uh, I, I think of um, the the two props, you know, Scott Sio, Alan Alatowa, Al- um, Alatowa Al- was. Um, I, I did. I was invited to, to take part in the uh, the voting for the Australian Super Rugby Player of the Year last week, and I've gone on a 3-2-1, Adam Coleman, Amanaki Murphy, the the Rebels number eight, who is incredible. Uh, it's 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 almost, you know, it's, it's almost sad that he's a a Cap Japanese international because I'd love to sort of. Uh, <laughs> So Running around for the Wallabies and uh, Alan Al, Al, um as the one point he, he he had an amazing season for for the for the Brumbies. So you know I, I think young props coming through is is always good. Joe Powell had a really strong year for them, and um, you know so there's a few little things. For the Waratahs, it's it's probably hard to highlight someone because as I said, I think they were really really disappointing. Well, they, I, they were I,
0: abject I, abject all season, yeah, weren't they? They
3: were. Look, I, I had. I I can't I can't remember getting pre season predictions about the Australian conference more wrong than I than I did. Um, and <laughs> well I, you wouldn't be on your think, own. No, well I I think I think from memory I had um the Waratahs just ahead of the Reds. Uh I thought the Rebels would have a decent season, probably run about third, and then I really couldn't split the Brumbies in fourth for fourth and fifth, but went in that order just because I you know, had to pick an order basically, and
2: hmm.
3: in the end, the Brumbies and Force were for first and second. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, that uh, that tells you just about you know every, everything there is to, is to know. It's just been that sort of year.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, we don't, we won't look back on this one fondly. But you have gone through quite a few players who might have a little bit of something for us going forward. Um, but I want to – Brett, I just want to say thank you for joining us again. Uh, it's – yeah, it's been a year to forget. Let's not beat around the bush. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, guess, look, it, it, yeah, go on. It, it, it,
3: it, ha, it, ha, it has been a, a year to forget, and it's hard to see, you know, any a, anything to really pin the hopes on, on for the Wallabies um, going forward. But I suppose from that, that just means that – they have unfortunately now got extra time to prepare, and we know that mm. Checkers has given them a really hard going already, which which I think is actually really encouraging. And if he can, you know, get a little bit of, um, you know, emotion back in them, you know, really re really instill what it means to, to to be playing not just playing for your country, but but playing rugby professionally for a job, you know, which is something every you know, all, all but about one hundred and fifty you know guys around the country would. Give their right arm to do. Yeah. They're in a really privileged privileged position, and I think if Michael Check can just sort of reinforce that, if um, you know, if we start seeing um, you know some of the Mick Byrne influence coming through in, in terms of the skill levels and things like that, and, and then you know going forward next season and beyond, we start seeing a little bit of um, you know unity between the, the the four or the five sides in terms of game plan and. Um, you know, fitness levels and, and and I guess that's that's sort of going to fall into, into Rod Case's remit. If we start seeing evidence of that over the next 12 or 18 months, then, you know, then maybe, just maybe, 2017 will have been worth it.
0: Yeah, well, we can only hope so. Thanks again Brett for having a chat to us on a sporting discussion.
3: <laughs> no worries AJ, good talk.
0: And that will do us for this episode of A Sporting Discussion. Thanks to Brett McKay for <laughs> filling us with doom and gloom about Australian rugby. And uh, thanks to Tim Gore for talking to us about the uh, how the NRL can fix its refereeing and send off woes. Uh, thanks also to Andrew, who is off scouting up in Mildura. Don't forget you can hear Andrew Monday mornings at 7.15am on 102.7 RFM that's in melbourne so listen on your radio or if you're not in melbourne go via your streaming arrangements uh there's a few other things going on with the podcast that we are working on in the background that will come to light in the next couple of weeks uh so if you have any ideas for how you think the podcast could work better uh hit us up on our twitter at asd underscore podcast or go to facebook.com slash a sporting discussion we're always open always open for feedback and arguing and whatever you want you want to take us to task on what happened in this episode go for it you want to show us a point you want to debate go for it we welcome everything hit us up that's at asd underscore podcast on twitter or go to facebook.com slash a sporting discussion thanks for listening we'll be back next week